Welcome to Rafi's Roundup, the podcast where I, Rafi, talk about whatever it is I want to talk about this week. And uh, we are finally through the DC Comics portion of Rafi's Roundup. Uh, we'll be talking comics for a little while. I kind of overblew it in about like four weeks. So, we talk about other stuff today, guys. It's a fresh new day. It's the middle of the month. <laughs> And I'm, uh, pretty tired, honestly. Um, at the time of this recording, Macy and I had our Jack and Jill party event, um, let's see, like two days ago, two or three days. It was on Saturday, today's Tuesday. I don't know how you define two or three days. But, it was a lot of fun. Um, basically in order to help raise money for the wedding and everything, uh, Macy and I had a bunch of family and friends, uh, there had to have at least been, like, a hundred people at this event, um, maybe not at all, at all at one time, but, um, we raised a lot of money, had a lot of fun, uh, it was good to see family members I haven't seen in a while, especially in, like, this COVID era, it was just kind of nice to, you know, we're at a point now, at least where I'm living, where, people are a bit more comfortable about the mask situation. It's way more of a choice, I guess, now. I don't know. I don't know. People feel safer about it. I feel a, a bit safer about it as well. Um, when it comes to the mask stuff, my only, my only concern is, like, the people that are still wearing it and are concerned that other people aren't. I try to be courteous about that. I try to, like, wear my mask when I'm sitting down have a conversation with someone who is wearing a mask as well, um, sort of for their benefit. But regardless, you know, it was just good to see everybody and nice to see people. Like, I I, <laughs> I haven't done the t- the thing where it's like, here's a whole podcast about my life because I don't know. I don't. I don't. I feel like once I do that, I don't know. I feel that's not just that's not entertaining. <laughs> but um, point I'm getting to is that. Most of my life, I've sort of, I have a lot of different, like, splinters to my family. Um, so it was just kind of nice to see people I've never really seen talk to each other, talk to each other. And, you know, introducing my friends to certain family members. Um, it makes the whole idea of the wedding, and the whole idea of just my divided life, um, feel more tangible. And, you know, more realistic and more there. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. My friend Paul had too much fun. <laughs> but, um, no, it was good. And, you know, I, I'm just, I'm still tired from it. Macy's still a little tired from it. But, um, that's just because it was crazy. Crazy good. Crazy good stuff. Uh, we're around, like, 80 days until the wedding. So, I'm looking forward to that. That's... If it's anything like the Jack and Jill, oh man, it's going to be one big party, I tell you what. Um, but this this podcast isn't just about me. It's about the things that I'm rounding up and hurtling into, I don't know, a stable, I guess. I, I have never been on a farm. <laughs> so, uh, hold on. Max sent me a picture of a penguin. I just had to... Check that out for a minute. I thought it could have been important. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> so, yeah, today we're going to be talking about the newest episode of Sam and Bucky. 
Um, we're going to talk about the Shang-Chi trailer that came out. Really happy about that. And, uh, you know, I figured we'd have some time to round up, so I'm going to talk about a Marvel character that I've been thinking about a lot lately um, named Demolition Man. And, uh, oh boy, is he, does he have a story to tell. All right, well, and we'll get into that soon. But, uh, yeah, so the fifth episode, the penultimate episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or Sam and Bucky, as I like to call it, um, came out last Friday. And, uh, I think it's probably, like, my favorite episode so far. The episode's called Truth, and it hits so many really good marks, and it does a lot of things that, like, not that I've been expecting, but, like, I've been waiting for some of these things to be addressed, and it does such a good job that, like, I'm worried the final episode isn't gonna live up to the hype. And I think WandaVision had that same problem, actually. So we'll, we'll break this down to the kind of, like, the big moments that I really enjoyed watching and I want, you know, just kind of get into. Um, I really haven't done episode breakdowns for Sam and Bucky. I've talked about it a little bit as I've been doing other stuff, but um, I figure episode 6 is coming up. And when episode 6 does come out, instead of reviewing it, I plan on just doing a, a full series review. So I think we're just going to dive in, get our, get our hands wet with, <laughs> with the show. Oh, man. It's a weird week, dude. <laughs> it's been a weird week. Um, so the, the episode actually starts out with, like, an action segment. Uh, we see John Walker right after he... Okay, this is debatable. Does he cut off the dude's head, or does he just impale his chest? Because the shield, which is sharp on the edge, and based on, like, the way that they kind of shot the the scene... It made me think he decapitated that guy. Um, but <laughs> other people, including Bennett, have told me that, no, he impaled him in the chest the way Steve impaled Tony's arc reactor in Civil War. But, like, Steve only impaled the arc reactor, like, before, okay, in Civil War, that final fight scene that I, I love so much, Steve had the shield over Tony's head, and Tony, like, lifted his arms to block his head. So, like, Tony thought Steve was going to try to, like, cut off Tony's head or impale his neck or something, um, but Steve went for the arc reactor. So, like, that's why my thinking is that, and I hope they confirm it next episode one way or the other, but, like, like I need, I need, so, I need Sam to be like, John, you cut a dude's head off, like, <laughs> um... Because, I don't know, in my head he cut off the dude's head with the shield. Because that feels just way more impactful than him just stabbing the dude in the chest with the shield. Um, especially with how bloody the shield got, I feel like it makes more sense for it to be a, a decapitation situation. That, which rhymed, hey, that's cool. Plus, I feel like, I feel like, I know the, the, the Disney Marvel shows haven't been super um, explicit with like blood and gore and violence. But I feel like there's more reason to censor a head getting cut off than there is a shield, like, impacting a chest and, like, cutting into it. Um, I don't know, that's just my thinking. But, like, you know, like you would, <laughs> or I guess like you, you would expect, John Walker cuts that guy's head off and then immediately just runs away and has a panic attack. 
um, Sam and Buckham, Sam and Buckham, what the fuck, Sam and Bucky find John Walker in, like, a warehouse, and they have a fight, and it's a cool little, like, dark twist on, again, that Civil War battle where Cap and Bucky fought Iron Man, now it's Falcon and Bucky fighting, uh, John Walker, the new Captain America, and, uh, that fight's really good, and it's really, like, not only is it shot well, but it's also kind of, like, gut-wrenching, because nothing, like, crazy happens, because, like, obviously, uh, what is it, Falcon's robot, Red Wing, is, I guess, still broken, so he doesn't use that, Falcon doesn't even use guns anymore, he uses his wings, and he uses, like, a grappling hook, and then with Bucky, Bucky just uses, you know, his arm or whatever, so, like, Nothing crazy, extravagant, or, you know, costly is happening here. It's a very down-to-the-dirt kind of gritty fight. And, you know, something I appreciate that Marvel movies and TV do really well is that they do a great job at being like, okay, if if you had a guy who had military training, but also was, like, really well-trained with these, like, robotic wings how would he fight in a situation? They do a really good job presenting that as well. Um, Yeah, this glorified slap fight, (laughs) you know, has a lot of dramatic moments. Um, There's a bit where, like, yeah, like, uh, what's his name? Walker, like, like, rips the the wings off of Falcon's wingsuit or whatever. Um, Yeah, they're just beating the crap out of each other. Oh, there's a bit where, like, he rips the wings off, and then I think he's... Is he choking Falcon? I think he's choking Falcon. But he's choking him, and it's it's horrific, and he's going, like, why are you making me do this? Like, like John Walker has gone off the the reservation at this point. But they they break his arm, and they take the shield, and they, you know, leave him crying in the warehouse. Um... But, you know, we see more of, like, John Walker kind of slowly falling down this episode with, like, he's given a other than honorable uh, discharge by the U.S. government who, like, <laughs> now that they know he killed the dude with the shield and then and then I'm, I'm assuming, like, what is of equal embarrassment to the U.S. government, like, the Falcon took the shield back. Like, I'm sure... Like, I'm sure the, the, the fact that John killed the guy with the shield and it was on camera... Like, I'm, I think if John Walker killed the guy with the shield and it wasn't on camera, it wouldn't be a problem for the U.S. government. But, like, that and the fact that he got beat up and lost the shield to the guy that I'm sure the government really wanted the shield from, that being uh, Sam Wilson, you know, enough reason to just kind of throw John Walker under the bus, which is, like... I don't know, man. In the Marvel Universe, and I guess in the real world, the U.S. government is really stupid about how they treat their super soldiers, or just their soldiers in general. But, like, you look back at the first Captain America movie, which was, like, during World War II, and they're like, okay, we have this guy, Steve Rogers, who has superpowers. He is stronger and faster than any other soldier. Um... In addition to his, like, strength being augmented, he's also a very smart tactician. He's a good soldier. He knows how to work firearms and stuff. He is our perfect soldier. Um, so what we're going to do with this soldier is dress him up and put him on a stage play, um, you know, to get <laughs> to get people hyped for the war 
and you know maybe they'll they'll buy war bonds and such and donate to the government and, and all that stuff like we have a literal superhero but instead of sending him into world war 2 where he can actually make a difference and you know progress towards ending the war let we're just going to use him commercially we're going to use him for marketability so that we can make money because you know while this war is awful and we do want to win it um, the longer it goes on, the more profit we make along the way, and the better we look, the more like powerful we look because we're continuing the war and, and, and fighting the good fight. You know, if, if we sent Cap in to end the war right now, that's less money. That's uh, you know, it looks worse on our part because we're not doing as much because we're leaving it to this Captain America guy. Um, like, and clearly that hasn't changed, right? Because this was. <laughs> As soon as John Walker comes into the picture and he's Captain America, he doesn't have powers, he just has the costume and he has the shield, and there's, like, videotape of him training with the shield or whatever, and he's doing, like, interviews in the middle of football games, which I feel like that's not something you do, um, at, in any context, um, and there's posters of him and stuff, and, like, this, like, the posters and, like, the training videos with the shield... It's like Sam gave the shield to the museum, <laughs> and then is well no it, it could have been before that because you know the U.S. government could have some sort of training replica, but my thought is like as soon as Sam gave the government the shield, they were like oh okay good we've been waiting for him to give us the shield like the John Walker being a replacement Captain America, I think was a project the U.S. government started on like, around the time of, like, Civil War. Like, as soon, as soon as the Avengers broke up and Steve gave the shield back to Tony or whatever, the U.S. government was like, okay, well, now that there's no actual Captain America, let's, let's get our own Captain America. Because, again, they had all the marketing and stuff ready. They had uh, interviews probably lined up and everything. Um, this was something, like, the government was, like, like foaming at the mouth waiting for Steve to not be Cap. Because, like, as much as the U.S. government probably doesn't want a black Captain America, they also don't want a Captain America that is willing to um, break from their control. And, like, <laughs> the thing that's brought up in this episode by John Walker is, like, I did everything you asked. Like, I, I made one mistake, and it's a very big, crucial mistake that, you know, he's going to regret forever. But, like... He, he fucked up, but he's been nothing but loyal to his superiors. And instead of showing that same amount of loyalty, they're like, oh, no, we're, we're getting rid of you. Now, I don't know if, by that point, the U.S. government or John Walker's handlers or whoever, like, I don't know if anyone else knew John Walker took the, the super soldier serum and had powers. Because I feel like if they knew he had powers... They would cut him off, but they'd still try to keep him at arm's length. Like, otherwise, you know, it only make, it only continues, like, the presentation that the U.S. government is stupid and, like, um, what's the word? Like, inept at their job. Because if you know this soldier just killed this dude, and you know he has powers equivalent to Steve Rogers, yes, he cannot be Captain America anymore because that's a bad public image, but... He has powers, and it would be a waste not to keep him around for something. Like, it, it's almost like... It's almost like the, the government is like, we're less interested in 
a super soldier being super and more interested in a super soldier looking super so that we can put it on posters and shit. You know? Um, but yeah. John loses the shield. He loses the whole Captain America mantle. And, uh, and it, what, what I do like, and I'll say this, like I've been shitting on John Walker here and there, but I think the show is doing a great job with John Walker because, like, he's a dick, right? <laughs> no way around it. The way he handles situations, he is a dick, he's impatient, he's overcompensating. You know, there's the whole fight scene with the, um, Dora Milaje in the other episode, um, there's the way he kind of talks down to Sam and to Bucky, and, you know, he shows up and sort of, like, like, Steve demanded a respect just because he was a good person, and it's not like, like, he demanded a respect without actually demanding respect, right? Like, when you're within the presence of Steve Rogers, you're like, oh man, this, this dude's the real deal, like, he's really humble and honorable, and I respect that, you know? With John Walker, he wears the costume and he walks into a room and he's like, why isn't everyone, like, begging at my feet? You know, why isn't everyone kissing me, like, on the cheek and stuff? Where's the applause? Um, And I think that's less, like, that's partly on him as a person, but I think it's also partly on the way that he has been treated. Because as soon as he became Captain America, it's like, again, football game interviews, he walks into police precincts and people shake his hand, take photos with him, even when he's not wearing the costume and he's, like, getting a coffee with Lamar, he signs an autograph for somebody. Like, him expecting respect and expecting people to, like, open doors for him isn't just a result of him being a douchebag. It's a result of how, how, sort of, how people are treating him because they're treating him like a celebrity. Um, And that obviously gets to his head right quick. He obviously lacks that moral center that, that Steve had. Because um, I think for Steve, like, it, it didn't really get to him. I think the, the whole being famous part was part of the, it was like the thing that Steve probably didn't like about the job. But, <clears throat> what was I talking about? Um, but, like, I don't dislike John Walker as a character, I guess. Like, obviously he is becoming a villain or at least an anti-hero. And obviously he's really besmirching Steve's legacy, which is not to say that the Captain America legacy is without its, you know, smears, um, which is other stuff that's brought up in this episode. But, like, the show... And I'll probably talk about this more when I review the whole thing. I don't want to say too much, because I'll end up saying the same thing I'm saying now in the review. But basically the way I want to leave it is, like, the show does a good job at presenting John Walker not just as, like, a slippery slope of a character, but also a character that, in a way, is a little bit blameless. Like, he's sort of... He's not pure evil. Like, he's a very neutral character that just reacts to things in, you know, a less-than-ideal way. Like, everything he is is a result of the way people treated him and the way he sort of reacted to situations. And especially as Captain America, and especially after killing um, that Flag Smasher, John seems like the kind of person or character who would rather double down and be hated than admit he was wrong and hate himself. Like, he, he doesn't want to look embarrassed 
he wants to double down and look like he knows what he's doing. Um, I think that's a good way to present that character. Um, cause it's, it's sort of like politically down the middle when you do it that way. Um, so yeah, I like the way they, they are handling John Walker and obviously he's going to play a big role in episode six. Um, he's a good, like, he's a good, uh, what's the word? Parallel, I guess, to the Flag Smashers, because Carly and the Flag Smashers, while they don't have, I think, the same commanding presence as, like, John Walker does, and I say that as, like, a person watching a TV show, like, I, I'm more excited when I see John Walker in a scene, because I just love Wyatt uh, Russell's, you know, acting and portrayal of the character. I'm more excited to see him on screen than I am to see the Flag Smashers. That being said, like, I sympathize with the Flag Smashers probably more than I sympathize with with John Walker, which is, you know, on purpose. Um, You get a little bit of of Flag Smasher stuff in this. Um, They're obviously getting a bit more hostile, they're even recruiting. <laughs> uh, they're even recruiting the only consistent Captain America villain in these movies, uh, Bartrock the Leaper. Uh, so he's coming back, and he's going to leap into action. Oh man, I joke, but I do like Bartrock the Leaper. He, so what a fucking ridiculous! Like of all the Captain America villains, you had to like modernize and use as like a reoccurring bad guy. I guess they killed Crossbones, so they can't use him anymore, but, like, Batrock the Leaper, he's a good fighter, but, like, I don't know, he's not even, like, flashy or anything. Give him a jetpack, that'd be kind of cool. Then he's Batrock the Flyer, and it's even worse, I've made it worse. Um, but yeah, Flag Smasher stuff, John Walker stuff, um... Bucky finds Zemo in Sokovia. I love I love in the show how characters kind of just fucking jump around. I mean, they're in Europe, so I guess they're not that far from Sokovia. But, like, Bucky finds Zemo at the Sokovia Memorial, which just kind of reminds you, oh, yeah, this guy lost his whole country and his family and uh, is probably insane. He, he, is, <laughs> he, is, uh, he is a Sokovian Punisher, but for superheroes, I guess super soldiers. Whatever. Um, but Bucky picks him up, gives him to the Dora Milaje, um, and they're going to bring him to the raft, which I think is interesting. I think a lot, I think a lot of people expected maybe the, the Wakandans to, like, kill Zemo, or at least imprison him in Wakanda. Um, but they're going to bring him back to the raft, which, like, again, you watch any video about episode 5 of Sam and Bucky, and they'll tell you, oh, clearly this is setting up for the Thunderbolts, which is... Thunderbolt Ross's, in quotations, Suicide Squad from the Raft prison. And uh, Zemo is a character that's often on the Thunderbolts. So, um, yeah, I can see that happening. Zemo, he definitely is, like, a really good character in these shows and movies. Um, I think the show did a really good job at, like, making levity of him while also reminding you, oh, no, he's dangerous and he's crafty. Um... He El, he El Chapo'd them in, the, in that episode. Um, but he's captured, and he's off the board, which I think makes sense. I, I think maybe in episode six we'll get some sort of post-credit with him. But um, I don't know. I hope when it comes to the Thunderbolts, they don't get their own show. I'm hoping it's a, like a situation where like in She-Hulk, 
or Moon Knight or any of the other Marvel shows they have planned. I'm hoping eventually Thunderbolt Ross just kind of presents the Thunderbolts as like a team that he's using kind of in the background um, of like another show. Miss Zemo stuff. <clears throat> oh, um, the other thing about Walker is that after his court thing, he's approached by Valentina Fontaine, um, who's who's played by um, oh god, I, I don't want to say the girl from Seinfeld, but uh, hold on, I'm trying to look at the cast, but of course they don't freaking put her name there. Uh, oh, here, we go. Julia Julia Louis Dreyfus, yeah. The, the woman from Seinfeld. <laughs> That's all I know her from. I'm sorry. Um, but she shows up. She's playing a character called Val, uh, named Val. Um, she's an interesting character. Um, I looked into her a little bit. She is sort of a fellow super spy character. Um, she, she came up in, like, uh, old Nick Fury comics um, is the idea. She's a love interest of Nick Fury. She's a double-triple agent, so she's worked for S.H.I.E.L.D., she also worked for Hydra, and when she was with Hydra, she was a character called Madam Hydra. So, it's really down the middle as to if she wants John Walker to maybe work for S.H.I.E.L.D., which I question where S.H.I.E.L.D. is, because S.H.I.E.L.D. is in space now, basically. S.H.I.E.L.D. is with Nick Fury, and he's in fucking space. So I kind of doubt it's that. Um, I'm guessing it's sort of a Hydra revival, because we know that they're still out there somehow. Um... So you might just work for them. Or it could be something... It could be a third party that Val is, like, working for. Um, apparently she's going to appear in the Black Widow movie. So technically that's supposed to be her first appearance. So, you know, again, I'm one... It's, it's kind of up in the air as to who she's working for and what her plan is. Um, but I guess we'll see. So that's Val. Again, she just kind of shows up. And, like, I'll say, like... Uh, Drivus does a great job just, like, being a character in this. Like, you have this very serious scene of John Walker getting, like, his nuts cut off by the U.S. government, and his wife is trying to, like, be there for him. And then this... And then Val just kind of walks in, and, like, she's all personality. She's very, like, formal and friendly and polite. And, like, when John's wife is like, excuse me, who are you? Val just, like, gives her a card and then keeps talking to John. Like... She commands a lot of screen presence, and I think that's great, and I think it's good that they put her in um, so late in the show, because otherwise she would be a character that people would probably keep speculating about. Um, the same way they're definitely speculating about Sharon Carter and whether or not she's the power broker, which, I mean, is very possible. I can't decide one way or the other. There's really not much for Sharon Carter to do at this point, so I wouldn't be opposed to her becoming a sort of a crime boss villain. Um... And she knows about, like, the serum, too, so she, she's, she's, she knows a lot. I mean, not, not Sharon, um, Val, she knows about the, the serum. Um, and then, like, a majority of the episode, and this is, like, the part that, like, I liked a lot, actually, is just kind of Sam and Bucky hanging out in Louisiana. You know, they're fixing Sam's, like, family boat, um, Bucky is kind of staying in the house with, uh, Sam's family, uh, clearly, Bucky's gonna hook up with Sam's sister, <laughs> um, but they just kind of bro out, you know, they work on this boat, um, 
Bucky gives Sam this big box from Wakanda, which is probably going to be his Captain America suit. Um, oh, there's also a bit where Sam is, like, walking away with the shield, and he leaves his wings in, like, a briefcase or whatever, and his buddy... What's his buddy's name? Uh, Torres. Torres is like, hey, man, you forgot your wings, and Sam is like, you keep them, and basically keeps walking. And, like, Torres in the comics, and I think I brought this up before, maybe not, I haven't talked too much about the show. In the comics, Torres is a character who, like, becomes the new Falcon, basically, when Sam becomes Captain America. So, and he was already interested in Red Wing, so I don't doubt that Torres is going to use the wings and the Red Wing technology to make himself the Falcon. He'll probably paint it green or something. I hope he does. I hope he's not a carbon copy of the Falcon. I hope he does his own color scheme and everything. But, um, yeah, that's cool. Torres is a, a fun character. Um, I don't think he's young enough to be on, like, any Young Avengers team or whatever, but I think he'll definitely be sort of a good sidekick for for uh, for Sam when he becomes Captain America. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, most, most of the episodes just kind of bro bonding time with Sam and Bucky. And they do a really cool thing with Sam. They've done it a couple times in the show where... He goes back to his roots of being, like, I stress to say a therapist, but he basically is a therapist. Like, Sam worked with uh, with veterans in the past, so he has a conversation with Bucky where they're throwing the shield back and forth, you know, like, like a dad and a son playing catch. Um, but they kind of just talk through their issues, um, and Sam is able to kind of talk to Bucky, like, because obviously the show started with Bucky having, like, a like a mandated therapy session that just doesn't work for him, and the therapy that he is doing didn't work for him either, and so Sam not only gets Bucky to talk about how he feels in a comfortable environment, but he tells Bucky, like, you're not going to be at peace, like, finding these people and righting wrongs, you need to go back and find these people and make them feel good, you need to, like, make them happy and give them closure to the things that you've done. Only then can you be happy and move on. Um, which I think is really great. You don't, you only get a little bit of Sam being a person in this show and, and having talks like that. Um, I think it's great. So, yeah, uh, it's all coming ahead. The Flag Smashers are attacking, like, the Global Reparation Council in New York City because everything takes place in New York. Um... Batrock was released by Sharon Carter, and he ends up joining the Flag Smashers, so they're connected. Um, and then the post-credit scene, the first one, I, or sorry, the mid-credit scene, I wish it was a fucking warning sometimes, because I'll end an episode and then be on YouTube like twelve, like three hours later, and it'll be like, oh yeah, actually, there's a post-credit scene. Like, oh, why didn't I see this before? Um, basically, John Walker is building a new shield from scrap metal, and he puts his war medals in the in the shield, so that's that's cool. I imagine the shield isn't going to play too much of a part because it's just made out of regular metal. Um, it's not going to bounce back to him or anything, unless it does, which will be fucking weird if it does. If it just operates the way the actual shield does. Um, but yeah, it's cool. Um, it. I don't know. I don't know if if John still has his uh, Captain America outfit. I kind of doubt it. I think John's kind of probably going to make a makeshift Captain America costume while he's at it. Um, but we'll see, dude. Like, a lot of these characters have a lot... Like, there's no character in the show that doesn't have, like, legs to... And I mean, like, you know, 
story potential. Um, there's also a huge portion of um, Sam talking to Isaiah Bradley and, you know, kind of going over his history, getting his story, and kind of getting his perspective on the way black soldiers have been treated in American history, and especially how, uh, what is it, adamant the U.S. government was about not having a black Captain America and erasing all history of a black Captain America, um, which is, like, you know, it's eye-opening. And I remember, I've heard a lot of people be like, the show's, like, way too political about things, and it's not realistic in that way. And it's like, it, it is realistic. And, uh, and it's also, like, the show, like, it's not a Captain America show, but it's a Captain America show. And if it's a Captain America anything, there needs to be some semblance of political realism. Like, in Captain America and the Winter Soldier, which, you know, is the, the second movie, they straight up say, like, or they straight up reference the fact that, yeah, after World War II, like, Nazi scientists were recruited by the U.S. government to come work for them. So, like, you know, clearly the U.S. government, in, like, basically any portion of American, like, organized history is covered up and made to look like, oh, no, the the white people won with, like, victory and honor, when it's like, no, they recruited Nazis, <laughs> you know? Like, they turned their enemies into their assets, um... And, and tried to hide the fact that they would do something so scummy. And, yeah, like, that's that's the part about American history, like, the the revision parts, where it's like, oh, no, there's there's no debate on what was actually happening here. Like, it's, it's systemic racism. It's, you know, it's white superiority. It's like, oh, no, we, we had this blonde, blue-eyed super soldier in the 1940s, and, uh, you know, after he was done being a parade float for us, uh, he basically won the war for us, so, if we're gonna do that again, it needs to be someone just like him, it, it can't be a black person, um, which is just like, oh man, that's the shit that hits hard, you know, um, but I'm glad that they talk about it, I'm super glad they talk about it, because this is, this is a plot that, like, you can only have with Sam Wilson, who is sort of, like, naive to that part of American history, and, you know, he had no idea Black Captain America ever existed. But, like, you can only tell this story with Sam. And, you know, even Bucky later admits, like, Steve and I, when we talked about the shield and who we would pass it on to or whatever, we never even considered the fact that, like, how the world would react to a Black Captain America or what that meant to a Black person. Um, which is good to see a character like Bucky kind of acknowledging that because he's not a character that acknowledged race ever before because it just never came up you can only do this in this show you know if you did a whole movie about steve rogers kind of um discovering and coming to terms with like this part of the history of captain america i think he would probably give up the shield at that point he would just want to stop because it's, it's just been so perverted by history um and undoubtedly, it would be something that Steve would be probably ashamed of if he knew it, like what the government was doing with the mantle of Captain America the whole time. So, again, raises a lot of interesting questions that you can only do in this show. Um, and I think they're questions that, you know, should be brought up, and they're discussions that people should have when it comes to the concept of, hey, what if there was a superhero that represented America? He wouldn't just be a patriot in red, white, and blue. He would be, like addled by, like, the mistakes of his country, 
Like, he, Captain America doesn't just represent everything good about his country. He represents the fact that you can be more than the more sour parts of its history. Okay, let's talk about uh, Shang-Chi a little bit. So, the trailer for Shang-Chi... Uh, Shang I'm going to have so much trouble with this because I'm bad at talking. The trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings uh, came out yesterday at the time of this recording. And uh, I am so pumped for this movie. Oh my god, like, you, you guys gotta understand, like, we, we have the Marvel shows, obviously. Black Widow's coming out the day before my wedding, so, you know, that cool, awesome, great. But, like, I'm excited for this in particular because it's so different from anything else Marvel-related. Like, Shang-Chi is a superhero, but, like, he's not presented like one. Like, he's an, he's an action hero, you know what I mean? Like, he's not wearing a costume. He doesn't have a code name. Like, it's just different, and I, I really like that. I like that we're getting a movie about a character. It would be like if Luke Cage got a movie. Like, yeah, he's had a superhero name or whatever, but that's not his, that's not his thing, really. Um, but this is also, you know, sort of, sort of in the, the way of, um, recent Marvel movies. This is the first Marvel movie with a, uh, an Asian lead, with a, a Chinese-American lead. Um, you know, because obviously, uh, Black Panther was the first one with the African-American lead, and I mean, like, MCU. I know Blade exists, but that was before the MCU, don't, don't at me. Um... But that makes me super happy, because, like, that means eventually, you know, hopefully, we'll we'll get more character diversity. Like, I'd love a movie with a, a Mexican lead, you know, um, or a Puerto Rican lead. Just a span any Spanish lead at all would just be great. Um, but yeah, this is really exciting. We'll probably get a Canadian one if they ever get to do an Wolverine movie, but whatever. Um... Yeah, this is exciting, man. I, I've watched this trailer a couple times. I've seen people talk about it. And, uh... Yeah, and in the, the, from what I understand, the plot's pretty simple. Um, this guy, Shang-Chi, right? He's this, he's this dude. He does the martial arts. He does the kung fu. Um, he was trained by... Oh, excuse me. He was trained by the Ten Rings organization, which are, like, a group of assassins. He was trained by them, and then his father, who leads the Ten Rings, he is the real Mandarin, um, we, we promised this time, um, he's like, alright, you're my son, I want you to be, you know, at my right hand in this, uh, Ten Rings organization, but, tell you what, I'll give you ten years on your own in America to just be your own person, but after that, you're mine, and you're part of this, um, and obviously, Shang-Chi doesn't want to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited. Uh, okay, what should we talk about here? I guess we can talk first about uh, Simu Lu. I think that's how you say his name. Simu Lu. Um, Simu Lu. Um, but the lead, character, the lead actor that plays Shang-Chi um, looks decent. You don't get a whole lot of his personality in this, but that's fine. Um, it's the first trailer. You do see a lot of, uh, you know, his fighting, which looks really good. He's an actual martial artist. Um, I'm really looking forward to that part, the whole martial artist angle on this. 
Um, because like many people, I was really disappointed in, in Iron Fist. <laughs> so um, it's going to be cool to see an actual martial artist in the MCU, um, especially one that comes from like this background of being trained by assassins. Um, it's, it's kind of, I, I stress to say, kind of Batman-ish. Um, it's kind of like the Batman part, or it's kind of like Batman, but without the Batman part. It's like if Bruce Wayne stayed in the monastery and became like an assassin for the ninja clan or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, he's described by the director as a kid who is out of his element and a fish out of water here in the U.S., and he's covering it up with his charisma, which I find very relatable. Um, so that'd be cool. It would be nice to have a, just a new kind of cocky, like charm, charming character in the MCU. It's, it's been a while, you know, um, yeah, he looks cool. His fight scenes look cool. He it, his costume is like a cool shirt. <laughs> um, that's gonna be dope, dude. I really like I really like Shang Chi in the comics. I I kind of was introduced to him in Steve Rogers had a Secret Avengers book, and a member of his Secret Avengers was Shang Chi, and uh, just a super interesting character. Um, I really kind of respect the idea of this character with. Just a mastery of martial arts, and that's it. <laughs> he'll he'll bump elbows with Thor. He'll jump over the Hulk. He'll do all that stuff. But he's still, he's still just a guy, um, and I like that a lot because there's even a bit in the comics where Ares, the god of war from Greek mythology, uh, says that Shang Chi is one of the only humans that could contend with a god. And I think he meant that in like a fighting sense. Um, which is just impressive. Um, I don't know if this version of Shang-Chi will reach that level of, you know, power or whatever, but I definitely think he's going to at least be, like, a little on par with someone like Captain America. That's what I, I'm, I'm really feeling from this character. Um, I don't know. Because <laughs> Shang-Chi, he's, a, he's, like, I would say in terms of relevancy, he's probably, like, a C-tier Marvel character. So I don't know much about... Um, like, his supporting cast. But the only one that's really listed as being kind of important to him is Katie, who... Okay. Katie Katie is Aquafina, And uh, she's, like, the second lead in this. Um, she's a close friend of Shang-Chi, but she doesn't know about his past. Um, so she's kind of just, like, thrown into this... She is thrust into this world where she really doesn't know what to do. At the same time, she's discovering things about herself. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know if Aquafina's character is going to become some sort of superhuman, or if it's a metaphor for, like, her being, uh, I don't know, gay? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how else to put it, dude. I, 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 it's like, in my brain, I'm like, try to explain it this way. You know, try to be considerate about the way, like, I just want to say things without it sounding like I'm ignorant, but I can't help it. <laughs> um, but I don't know what the fuck Aquafina is doing in this movie. I don't hate Aquafina or anything. Um, I liked her in Jumanji 2. I didn't watch Raya the Last Dragon. Aquafina is in some Nintendo commercials. And that's all I got. <laughs> um, I'm sure she's great. Her, her voice kind of confuses me. It's very raspy. Um, 
but like, again, I I don't have a lot of stock in this because I don't know too much of Shang-Chi's supporting cast, but I like the character. Um, But I don't know who this Katie person is going to be or if they're anyone at all. They could just be a supporting character. Like, she, she gives me real, like, Darcy vibes before WandaVision. Like, oh, we, we needed a supporting character, so here's Kat Dennings doing a Kat Dennings. Here's Aquafina doing an Aquafina. Um, and that's even true of, like, some, like, supporting characters from, like, the Spider-Man movies, which, like, I don't mind as much. Like, no, I don't need a comic-accurate Ned Leeds or a comic-accurate Liz Allen. Um, I don't even need a comic-accurate a- Mary Jane Watson, because, like, you know, they're, you're kind of doing your own Mary Jane Watson, and it's kind of going in a similar direction. Like, at least in that sense, it's like, okay, it's Spider-Man. There's a million other versions of these characters. I'm, I'm still down with, like, the Ned Leeds and the MJ of this universe. But, like, <laughs> Aquafina is just this new character. And they, I don't know, it feels like they're... Hmm. There's a bit in the trailer that I... <sighs> there's, like, two bits in the trailer that I really don't like. Um, and it's going to sound like I hate Aquafina. I don't, I swear. There's two bits in the trailer that I don't really like. There's a bit, they're both on the train, actually. Um, during the, the train fight scene, it cuts to Aquafina as Katie. And Aquafina, I just like her name, so I'm going to keep calling her that. Aquafina is like, who are you? And then Shang-Chi does a cool pose and you get the title sequence. And it's like, that is not in the movie. Don't fucking lie to me. Because, like, clearly Aquafina is, like, the the best friend that Shang-Chi makes in America. Like, she knows who he... Or is this, like, a... Who are you really, Shang-Chi, you know? Um, no, I don't... Because that's just, like... Alright, it's the... We're doing a trailer. No one knows who this character is. We need a character in the trailer to be like, Hey, who are you? So he can do a cool pose and then the, the trailer title comes up. Like... I guess this is more a problem about the trailer than it is with the actual movie and everything. But, um, yeah, I don't like that scene at all, because it's clear, clearly they already met. I don't know if that's even going to be in the movie. Like, that's just how I feel. And then there's a bit at the end where she, like, crashes a bus or whatever, and she looks over at Shang-Chi and Aquafina's like, we make a great team, and it's like, that's that's something you say to someone who you have just met. I guess. I don't know. It doesn't feel like something you would genuinely say unless it's going to be a thing of like, oh, earlier in the movie, she's going to say, I think you and I make a great team and this her repeating it. Or again, it could just be a, a line that they end up changing for the actual movie. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck Aquafina's doing here. Um, let's see. There's a couple of little characters here and there that we can talk about just a little bit. Um, oh, man. I am not... Should I read this name? Mengur Zahang as Zai Ling. And she is Shang-Chi's sister. Uh, and by effect, the man... The, I almost said the Mandalorian. <laughs> and by effect, the Mandarin's daughter. Um, she gives me, like, uh, Azula vibes, you know, from Avatar. Um, it seems like she's going to be one of the people that Shang-Chi has to fight in the movie. Um, if they kill or remove the Mandarin at the end of this movie, uh, his daughter is probably going to take over the Ten Rings organization. Um, I'm sure I'll end up liking her. She seems like a character that they're not focusing on a lot in the trailer, but in the actual movie, she's probably 
ha- she probably has some depth to her. Um, I imagine, like, because her if she blah, if she's like the ideal child that the man the Mandarin wanted, but she isn't a boy, so that makes her like less valuable to him. That would give her a complex that I think would make her sort of a relatable character and a character to root for in that aspect. So um, she's probably she's gonna be cool. <laughs> Um, and then Florian Montano, uh, he, he played, uh, Dolph Lundgren's son in Creed 2. Um, I think his name was, like, Ivan Drago. No, Ivan Drago was the guy. His son, I, I can't, uh, I'm not gonna look it up either, because, I don't, whatever. Um, but yeah, (laughs) Dolph Lundgren's kid, not literally his son, I'm just gonna say, Ivan Drago's kid from Creed 2. Uh, he's playing Razor Fist. <laughs> I'm sorry. So Razor Fist... They didn't even put his actual name because who the fuck cares. Razor Fist is a character in the Marvel comics. There's been a couple different people to become Razor Fist. But like it says on the tin, he is a guy whose hand has been replaced by a big r- blade. By a big sword, basically. He's got knives for hands. Um... Some versions only have one knife hand. Others have two knife hands. None have three knife hands. It also seems like in this movie the, the knife hand has some sort of like buzz saw attached to it to make it extra gritty and cool. Um, but yeah, he's just a straight-up strong dude with one knife arm, and that's fucking great. I hope, we, I hope he never talks. <laughs> I hope he never talks. I hope he survives the movie... I hope he becomes Shang-Chi's best friend. I want Razor Fist to go all the way, guys. I hope, I hope Shang-Chi falls in love with Razor Fist. <laughs> um, there's another character that we don't see their face, uh, but they're called the Death Dealer, and they kind of look like the Kabuki mask guy from uh, Big Hero 6, but uh, he looks cool, too. He's got a cool design. Um, or she. Could be one or the other. And then... The big character, right? The big honkin' chonkin' bad guy for this... This... Movie. I don't know, I hesitate on saying... I don't know, I was trying to go with another word for it. Um, we have Tommy Luang as Wen Wu. The the Mandarin. I swear to God, now it's gonna trip me up every time. The Mandalorian, guys! He's gonna shoot Shang-Chi. Um, so this is kind of a big deal, because... The last time we heard of the Mandarin was in uh, Iron Man 3, and people were pretty pissed about that. Um, You've probably seen Iron Man 3, but basically, if you haven't, the Mandarin was like a a, a Osama Bin Laden uh, terrorist, like, anagram allegory character that Iron Man was going up against, and eventually... Iron Man meets the guy, and it turns out he's just an actor that was, like, hired and sort of blackmailed into pretending to be this terrorist guy. Um. Bleh. Um. And, uh, and yeah, the, the actual person behind the whole thing was Guy Pierce as Aldrich Killian, who I really like. I liked Killian in Iron Man 3. And the thing is, a lot of people didn't like that the man that the Mandarin was kind of just used as like 
a, a terrorist poster boy in that movie. Um, I like the Mandarin twist in Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3 is my favorite Iron Man movie. Um, fight me outside. Um, <laughs> I love that movie a lot because of the stuff that it does, and part of it is the Mandarin twist. Because, yeah, how good is it to be like, oh, I'll distract the American populace with, like, this literal, like, Middle Eastern war terrorist, like, propaganda character. Like, what is essentially a, a like, a dark mirror Uncle Sam. I will use this image to distract the American people and make them think that it's, you know, terrorists over here. When, actua when, when in actuality, the bad guy was a handsome uh, white guy who ran a corporation. Because because the, they're the true villains, and there we go. Like I like that twist, um, but there are people that didn't like the twist. They wanted the actual Mandarin with his magic rings, which is like fuck that. They're not magic. Like that. Mm, I. The more I like Iron Man three, the more I dislike Mandarin in the comics. And they've tried. You know, they tried to make Mandarin cool and interesting and kind of like rework him for more modern comics, and I'm just not into it. The Mandarin is not a character that I'm interested in. That being said, they're doing a lot of things in this movie with the actual Mandarin that does excite me. Now, I will say, and I've brought this up before to people, before to people, there is a short film that was packed with Thor the Dark World, um, I think called Return of the King, uh, but the idea was, it was the fake Mandarin was being brought to jail. While he was in jail, he was kidnapped by this person who works for, in quotations, the real Mandarin. So I'm really hoping, um, oh god, what's the name of that actor? Ben Kingsley? I'm really hoping Ben Kingsley shows up as fake Mandarin in this movie. Like, as like a waiter for the real Mandarin or something. Like, that would be a full circle back to Iron Man 3. And I think it would make a lot of the people that didn't like Iron Man 3 happy. And it would also make me, someone who did like Iron Man 3, happy to see that character is still alive and still being like remembered and used. Um, so I think that's a good neutral point to, to do that. Um, the other thing about the Mandarin, uh, a little bit of a, ra a racial stereotype. They're sort of combining him with Shang-Chi's father in the comics who okay is sort of a problematic character so shang chi's father in the comics um was named fu manchu you did not hear me wrong uh eventually they changed his name to say his real name is zeng zhu um but he was a pretty problematic character they tried to make him serious they tried to give him a different name and make him uh, a more straightforward modern character but the truth is, Fu Manchu is just a little bit too problematic to escape. So, the Mandarin, Fu Manchu, Zheng Zhu, whatever you want to call him, Wen Wu, which is his new name, were sort of all mixed together into this new character. And they, they've done it before. They've done uh, stuff like that before. Um, Hela from Thor is kind of a, a an amalgam character. Um... Ego from Guardians of the Galaxy Two. He's a bit of an of a of an amalgam character, so nothing new there. And what I think is kind of cool is they've redesigned the the rings, like the ten titular rings that the Mandarin uses. 
Because uh, in the comics, they're obviously like just these little rings that all have their own special power. Um, originally, they were magic, and then they were retconned to be alien rings, like alien technology that were thought to be magic. I think that's the way they're going to go here. Um, but I could be wrong, because I know Baron Mordo, who's a magician from... Or a sorcerer from Doctor Strange is going to appear in this movie. So, yeah, there could be magic. There could be alien magic. We know alien magic exists because um, of that one red alien dude from Guardians 2 who does Doctor Strange magic at the very end. Um, so, I don't know. They could be magic. They could be alien. They could be both. Um, but what's cool is that... <laughs> so, we also know that a character called um, Fing Fang Foom is going to be in this movie, and I know, again, another ridiculous name, um, but I think they're changing his name, because I've seen marketing stuff, like, I've seen Funko Pops, basically, where it's, like, a red and white dragon, and its name is, like, the Great Protector, so I think they're, they're doing Fing Fang Foom as sort of, like, like, a redesigned dragon with a different name and stuff, but I don't know, I don't know what they're going to do with that, but what I was going to say was, dragons play a big part in, like, Shang-Chi and the Mandarin's kind of backstories. Um, so I think the fact that the ten rings aren't actual rings you put on your finger, they're actually armbands. Um, the Mandarin has, like, five on one arm and then five on the other. I think the reason they're that big, and I've seen other people talk about this, is because they are rings, but they're, they're not rings meant for humans, they're rings meant for dragons. Because the rings are big enough that they can fit around your arm but small enough that they can fit on a dragon's finger, or a claw, um, which I think is really cool. I also like the idea of maybe the Ten Rings aren't just, like, magical or technology, but they take on the characteristics of what the dragons can do. Like, there's, like, a bunch of different powers that the rings have. We'll talk about it in a minute, but, um, yeah, I like the idea that they're just dragon rings. Like, that's super cool. Um, now I know in the comics, eventually they gave Shang-Chi an actual superpower. I forget how he gets it, but essentially he has the power to create duplicates of himself. So he can just, like, clone himself over and over. Um, and they can fight alongside him. I don't think they're going to do that for this movie, and if they do, they might have it be, like, he gets one of the rings, and the ring's power is to make duplicates of you or something. Um, I don't know, maybe we'll do that. But, like, I'm... I'm really excited for the Mandarin, like, the new one in this. Because, um, again, like they're kind of making it seem like uh, he's a character with the ability to love, but also with a demanding leadership presence. There's also a whole lot of stuff about, like, maybe the Mandarin is incredibly old, like, he's almost an immortal. You see, like, in ancient times, like, this big war um, in China with, like, two armies fighting each other. And what's cool is that uh, you see, like, these giant lion monsters fighting alongside these uh, these warriors. And I'm willing, to, I'm willing to put a dollar down and say, oh, one of those lions is going to appear in Shang-Chi and be, like, an adorable lion monster that gets in a fight and stuff, but, like, otherwise is marketable so we can do plushies and Funko Pops. Because every one of these Marvel movies... We need to have some sort of animal or, or cute thing to um, to market in some way. Um, I think it's possible. Um, let's see. So yeah, there's a little stuff with like the war, and like 
I think the thing about Shang Chi and the Ten, the legendary, the legend of the Ten, the, the, the Seven Chaos Emeralds, the, the Infinity Infinity Rings. The thing about this movie I'm excited for is how different it looks in terms of the cinematography and the fight scenes. Primarily, and I'm speaking just from the trailer, there's a fight scene that looks like it takes place with like water that's moving, not down but like forward in the air. Um, but there's a fight scene that takes place in front of a neon sign between Shang-Chi and the Death Dealer, and there's specifically a camera angle where, like, Shang-Chi knocks, like, the knife out of the guy's hand, and you see his hand come forward and grab the knife, and it's in front of the camera. Um, there's another fight between the Mandarin and a woman in, like, a green dress in, like, a, a forest somewhere. That, that's probably during, like, the flashback scenes. Um, and, like, the scene looks like it's from, like like, a blockbuster, like, kung fu movie. Like, the actual angle they shoot it at and the wire work that they do in that scene, like, you can definitely tell, like, oh, this is, like, those other movies that I've kind of seen. But it's also, like, not something we've had in the MCU before. And that's really exciting to me. Um, so I'm gonna pause this. I'm gonna look at the Ten Rings, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, I have a list of the Ten Rings, and again... They might actually use some of these, they might not. It, in the trailer, you see, like, gravity manipulation, you see super strength. And it's also possible that the rings help keep the Mandarin alive. But uh, other than that, we don't see too many powers come from him. So I don't know how many of these powers are going to be in the movies, or the movie. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping they're just, like, they have, like, a couple powers. Like, I don't want, I mean, well, that's the thing. I don't want each ring to be unique in what it brings the wearer of the rings, but the actual ten rings insignia, like the logo that they use for the organization, in each ring is some kind of symbol. And I'm guessing that symbol represents what the ring does. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. We only have the one trailer for now, but uh, here, here are the rings. So you have uh, a ring that shoots an ice beam. You have, I don't know if I should say, like, uh, what finger he wears, because it doesn't matter which finger or hand that he wears them on. Um, but there's a ring that shoots ice blasts. There's a ring that creates a black light, which is not actually a black light like the actual technology. It just creates, um, um, this ring can create an area of absolute darkness that seems to absorb all light used within it. So it can create darkness. Okay, the ice blast I'm kind of iffy on, but the darkness ring, I can totally see that being a power. Um, the Mento Intensifier, which is the ring magnifies the wearer's own psionic energy, allowing him to place one or more people under his mental control and or tr transmit orders to them mentally. Um, most frequently used to create illusions. I can also see this power. I think it'd be kind of cool if the Mandarin, like, you know, I don't know what he does. He's an assassin king or something, I guess. But, like, I can see him possessing other people's bodies and maybe not being able to do it to Shang-Chi because they're, like, blood-related. That seems like something that would be in a movie like this. Um, and then the creating illusions part I can definitely see because that would come in handy for visual purposes, you know? It would kind of be like when Thanos uses the reality gem to create an illusion of his planet to show them what Titan looked like before it, like, died off or whatever. Um, 
so I can see the Mento intensifier being there. Um, the disintegration beam, I can see that because there's not. I mean, there's a flame blast ring, so maybe they'll combine them. But like some kind of generic laser, I can totally see that being a thing. Um, disintegrator, Jesus Christ! Electro blast again. You could tie that into the flame blast and to the disintegration beam. Um, or they might just go with electricity more than the other two. Um, I don't know. They've done a lot of electricity things with, like, Thor. So, like, I don't know if they want to repeat that. Um, the vortex beam. This ring causes the air to move about at high speed in a vortex. Um, maybe. I'm going to say maybe to that. Because at first I was like, okay, what? He controls all the elements like the Avatar. He can control wind. But um, that might be the, their justification for making it how... Mandarin can like fly or jump really high as he controls the wind under him under him so I can see that uh, flame ba flame blast again I can see that being sort of co-opted with disintegration and electro blast um, flame blast would make sense because again assuming they're they're dragon rings or whatever so flame dragon they kind of line up together an impact beam which is basically what Cyclops does I feel like they're not going to do that. Um, if they do, they'll tie it into the, the disintegration flame electro blast. They'll, I feel like they're going to co-opt like four of these lasers into one beam. <laughs> um, a matter rearranger, which can rearrange matter. Um, that could be there because there's, there's the whole bit about the water floating in the air. Um, it can like change clothing. It can turn people into monsters. I don't know. It, I'm going to say Maybe. Again, they might change it to, like, a gravity ray or whatever, but, like, disintegration's one thing, but when you can rearrange matter, that's a lot. Um, that's something that really only, like, witches can do so far, and I guess also sorcerers. Um, I'm going to say maybe to the matter rearranger. And then finally, a white light ring. Um, this ring can emit various forms of energy along the electromagnetic spectrum. It has been used to create uh, gravity powerful enough to make Iron Man... Uh, bury himself by trying to walk forward. Okay, so it's more of a gravity beam, which is what I was talking about before. Um, so yeah, those are the rings. Again, they all sort of do their own thing, but I'm kind of hoping it's generalized to like five powers or something. They'll probably explain it, and they'll probably be a bit more basic. Like, one ring has super strength, one ring has super speed, one ring can make you fly. Like, more generalized powers instead of being like, Hey, which laser do you want to fire from your hand today? <laughs> um, but yeah, Shang-Chi and the legend of the ten super overpowered rings. Okay, last bit that we're going to talk about, and I'll try to cut this as short as I can because I've been talking for a while about the shows and the movies and stuff. Um, there, there is a Marvel character I've been thinking about a lot lately, mainly because the Power Broker is kind of this character presence in Sam and Bucky. And I only know the Power Broker through, like, Ant-Man. But I also know him through... Or the Ant-Man comic, I should say. But I also know him through a very obscure Marvel character. Who is who is also a Captain America character, I should say. Um, named Demolition Man. Or D-Man. He's been called both because when you, when you talk about Demolition Man, people think you're talking about the Sylvester Stallone movie. Which is also a real fun time. I like that movie a lot. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, so Demolition Man first appeared um, with no costume or identity. He appeared in 
The Thing, number 28, from October of 1985. He was created by Mark Carlin and Ron Wilson. Uh, his real name is Dennis Dunfrey. And he's introduced as a professional wrestler. So, I'm going to tell you what this dude's deal is. And I'm going to tell you why I like him and I think why like why I sh why they should use him in like a Marvel movie or TV show, all right? So you got this guy, Dennis, Denny, my boy, my my big man. If you look this guy up, his costume is a combination of Daredevil and Wolverine. Um and I love it. <laughs> so the idea is that Dennis was um an aspiring athlete who was offered strength augmentation treatments by the power broker. And the power broker back then, in like the 80s, was just like a silver-haired white dude with a lot of money. Because again, that's the root of all evil. Um, but the, power, the power broker wanted to test out like this treatment, like this operation that you do, do on a person, and it gives them superpowers. Um, basically what it did was it gave them super strength, stamina, and durability. Nothing crazy, um, and nothing nearing like, say, a Captain America type but clearly in, like, the vein of Captain America. Um, but, yeah, he, he went with this whole um, augmentation surgery, and it worked, and Dennis gained, like, super strength. The problem is that he was too strong to do regular sports. So he found out about this superhuman uh, wrestling federation called Unlimited Class Wrestling Federation, or UCWF. And it was an underground wrestling federation that superheroes and supervillains could participate in. Um, the Thing, Ben Grimm from the Fantastic Four, he got involved in this wrestling federation. And, uh, you know, he wrestled with Dennis and stuff. And, you know, through, the th through Ben Grimm's adventure, he would learn that uh, Dunfrey worked for the power broker... Not only because he had like strength and he was doing the wrestling and stuff, but because in order to keep his powers, um, Dunfrey had to take a special drug that the power broker gave him. But if Den if Dennis ever like betrayed or didn't go along with what um, the power broker told him to do, he wouldn't get the meds. And with the uh, with Ben Grimm's help, um, Dennis got off the drugs and. Uh, you know, he went through painful withdrawals, and uh, they kind of took down the power broker together. But he got away, obviously. Um, way later, after the fall of the UCF, UCWF, um, Dennis Dumfrey, you know, with his power... Because, like, the drugs... Turns out the drugs weren't giving him powers. The drugs were just there to keep him in the power broker's, like, grip. So, after he went through, um, like, recovery and everything... He got to keep his powers without any of the drawbacks of needing a drug, because he doesn't need it. So, Dennis became the Demolition Man, and he like made his own costume, which was based off of his two favorite superheroes, uh, Daredevil and Wolverine. Which is funny, because you'd think maybe The Thing or Captain America would have some influence in there, but whatever. Um, I think it was also based off his wrestling costume, so whatever. Um... So he becomes Demolition Man, he works with Captain America a little bit, um, they take down the Power Broker again, and, like, the, the next kind of, like, entirety, like, for a long time, Demolition Man was a character who, like, was always, like, 
he gets the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> this character. He is an absolute, like, clusterfuck in every adventure. Um, like, he's, he's kidnapped by the power broker, and they augment his strength more, so he's stronger, but it damages his heart, and it makes him crazy, and he attacks Captain America. Um, he, he, he tries to retire from being a superhero, and just taking over Captain America's, like, hotline, basically. Um, he teams up with, like, Falcon and Nomad and a few others to go find Captain America after he, uh, is, like, stripped of his Captain America, um, I guess, identity by the CSA. And, uh, he joins Steve Rogers when he comes back as just the captain. And then, uh, let's see. Uh, he's arrested by the CSA because they want to know where Cap went. Um, he joins the East Coast Avengers, which is somehow still worse than the West Coast Avengers. Um, I read through his whole thing here, but I just wanted to, like, break down the basics, I guess. Um, oh, there's a, there's a bit where he's working with Battlestar and John Walker, and, and again, this is why I was thinking about this character throughout watching Sam and Bucky, but the idea is that John Walker was in this plane, uh, and he was gonna crash it into, like, this, uh, Flag Smasher base, but in order to make sure that it crashed, he had to stay in the, in the plane, which is kind of, like, reminiscent of how Steve Rogers got himself frozen in the ice. But he crashes the plane, he's thought dead, and then eventually Steve finds him frozen in ice, again, paralleling Steve's story. Um, and because of all this trauma and stuff, um, what is it? <laughs> oh yeah, he, he ends up thawed, but like living in like, like with homeless people and stuff. Basically, from this point, after the the plane crash, Dennis becomes, like, riddled with, a men like, mental illness and, like, hysteria. Um, like, there's a bit where, again, he's he's homeless and he's, he's still trying to be a superhero or whatever. And he, he believes that a cosmic game master told him to retrieve the seven Infinity Gems. And it turned out, um... Again, Demolition Man was just on the streets breaking into places and stealing jewelry and thinking that each jewel or ring or whatever was a piece of the Infinity Gauntlet, like the Infinity Gems and stuff. Like, he was so delusional, he's like, I need the Infinity Gems to fix everything, break into store, steal a ring, and that kind of thing. Um, Daredevil eventually finds him on the streets and helps him. Um, let's see. Again, I'm I'm trying to give you the cliff notes here. Like he he kind of just becomes like this background joke. Like he's brought in for a few things. Um, in Dark Rain, he's brought in and like used by the government. Uh, when the new Avengers are forming, they consider getting him. But when they talk to him, he's like, "I'm so lonely. Please just put me in the team." Does does Cap ever talk about me? Like, please, just add me to the team. Like, he's kind of pathetic. Um, way later, he joins an anti-Avengers team called the Revengers. And the whole reason he joins is because when he was having those mental breakdowns about getting the Infinity Stones, he was trying to call the Avengers for help, but they wouldn't answer his calls. 
Um, let's see, then... Oh, <laughs> then there's a mishap where Demolition Man comes across Captain America, and Cap is trying to talk this villain out of doing something, you know, dangerous. And Demolition Man assumes that Cap is making some sort of deal with the villain, and so Demolition Man goes to kill the villain, and Demolition Man is shot uh, by Sharon Carter, right? <laughs> and then it's like, oh man, this poor, crazy, down-on-his-luck homeless superhero was, you know, he was, he was wrong, he was trying to do the right thing, but he was just messed up, and, and he got shot in the way, and that's really sad, right? And then, during the fucking Secret Wars... Uh, Dennis is revived by a sorcerer, because this sorcerer was <laughs> trying to summon a demon from hell, but instead of getting a demon, he gets D-Man, Demolition Man, and so he's revived, and he goes back to Avengers Mansion, and he's enjoying himself, and then Secret Wars happens, and the world is, like, destroyed and rebuilt. So, sad, but we jump eight months later... And Demolition Man is working with Sam Wilson, who is now Captain America. And he sort of works as his pilot, mechanic, technician, and field backup. Um, he also has new battle armor, so he looks less ridiculous. Um, he teams up with Battlestar a few times. It's also revealed that um, Dennis has a boyfriend. Like he's actually gay and he has a male partner. And uh, there's a story where he helps Lockjaw, who's the giant dog from Inhumans... Um, he finds Lockjaw, he, he helps Lockjaw find his other dog siblings and, like, reunite them. And, and currently, he's a security guard at the, uh, Ravencroft Institute for the Criminally Insane. So, like, after Secret Wars, it's really weird. It feels kind of like DC New 52-ish. But, like, before Secret Wars, uh, Demolition Man was this low-tier superhero who became homeless and became, uh, like, mentally addled. And the people, like, that he worked with, like Captain America and Ben Grimm, up and forgot about him. And he just sort of became, like, this scamp on the streets who, you know, suffered in the plane crash, suffered through experimentation, um, was literally frozen today. Um, and then... And then he gets shot in the head and brought back from hell. So, like, he had been through a lot. And then after Secret Wars, he's just like, I'm the cool sidekick to the new Captain America. I'll fix the plane. Don't worry. Here I go with my beard. And I also have a male partner. Isn't that progressive of me? And I help dogs now. <laughs> and I love him. I love Demolition Man. Like, all things considered, even if, you know... There was definitely a sharp turn on where they were going with him. In terms of obscure Marvel characters, I love this guy. I think he's great. Um, there's a bit in a Kurt Busiek book. Yeah, when Kurt Busiek was writing Avengers. Um, hold on, let me. I want to read this. Okay. Um, and as demonstrated in the first issue of Kurt Busiek and George Perez's Avengers run. Uh, Demolition Man smelled so awful that no one wants to get within 30 feet of him. Like, he is a smelly, like, ex-pro wrestler 
with super strength that if he uses his strength too much, he'll have a fucking heart attack and die. He's a trained pilot, has served in the military in some sense, is a friend to all dogs, had been to hell, and is a Captain America fan. Like, this dude is just great. And I don't, like, I don't know what it is about him that is so, like, endearing to me. I think it's the fact that, like, he went from, he went from loser to more of a loser to a pretty cool guy, you know? Like, it's almost like dying, coming back from hell was, like, the exact wake-up call he needed to get his life together. Because otherwise, he was just madly swinging his arms, running through the streets, looking for infinity stones. And then it, and then he dies and comes back, and he's like, yeah, no, I, I help out Captain America, and, you know, when I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out with my hubby. You know, like, that's so nice and so sudden. Um, at the very least, Demolition Man needs a goddamn comic book, because this guy is awesome. And, like, I think it's great because he's not overpowered, he's not overused, and despite being, like, despite being a gay man, a former wrestler, and, like, a former homeless person, he doesn't feel pandering or, like, overexposed in a, in a marketing sort of way. Like, when they talk about gay characters in comic books... Marvel is never like, how about Demolition Man, guys? He's pretty cool, huh? Or when they talk about mental illness or homelessness, it's never like, oh, we should go talk to Demolition Man about this problem. Like, no, he exists, he's had a real shit life, and he turned it around, and, like, and, like, while Steve Rogers clearly forgot this dude existed, um, Sam Wilson didn't. And, like, Sam acknowledged, like, no, this guy has some use, and he clearly wants to be a hero, so... I should help him, uh, you know, achieve that goal. I think Demolition Man, or D-Man, has a lot of potential as a character. And, like, I remember I really wanted him to be in, like, the Jessica Jones show on Netflix or something. But, like, I don't know, dude. Like, he could be in Sam and Bucky. Episode 6, D-Man could just show up. You know, take over the scene. Um, be the secret powerhouse they need. But, like... Yeah, his powers aren't crazy either, which is really nice. But I like Demolition Man a lot. I, uh... I've definitely thought about, like, if he had a movie or a TV show. Because <clears throat> he could basically do that movie, The Wrestler, but with superheroes. Like, take all the reject characters you're not going to use in the MCU. Like, the Kangaroo, and Grizzly, and, uh, I don't know, the Gibbon. Like, <laughs> um, I think it's like a... Isn't there, like, a... Oh, the Mandrill? You can take the Mandrill. Basically all, like, the weird animal people that are just dudes or whatever. Take them, put them in a wrestling league. Demolition Man is the main character of the show. He's got a history of the power broker. And, like, the, the whole thing with, like, his problem with addiction, his problem with homelessness. You could almost do it, if you didn't want to do the wrestler angle, you could almost do it, like, a weird two-episode or three-episode, um, like, biopic... Like, within the Marvel Universe, there's this super-powered man who had this really crazy life that is somehow tangentially involved with Captain America, and someone in the Marvel Universe makes a documentary about this guy, and every episode is like, alright, first episode, his beginnings as a wrestler, 
Episode 2, his struggle with homelessness and drug addiction. Episode 3, the plane crash. Um, and then I guess if you want to expand it, Episode 4, um, the recovery time. And, you know, Episode 5, Demolition Man. Like, you know, the full circle this guy went into. And it doesn't have to end with him being a superhero. It can end with him being, like, a community activist who, like, rescues puppies and holds community barbecues and works as, like, a prison guard or something at, like, an insane asylum because he understands that background or he helps the homeless. Like, this character can be such a wholesome, like, community superhero in the MCU. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on the pitch list. I'm going to pitch that at some point. I want a... You can't call it Demolition Man, obviously, but I... I don't know if you can call it D-Man either. That's kind of weird. Eh, maybe the Dennis, the Dennis Dumfries show. Ha-ha, coming to, coming to Disney+. Plus. Um, look up Demolition Man. Love him as I do. God damn, like he's, he's up there for me. <laughs> he's, he's one of the best. He's a contender. Okay, so somehow we didn't talk about comics this week that much, but we still managed to go for like a, an hour 30. Um, I enjoyed talking about all this stuff. Sam Bucky is a good show. Shang-Chi looks to be a really cool movie. And Marvel needs to put Demolition Man in something right away. I'm pretty sure Demolition Man is, like, open now. It's not like they can make a Demolition Man show and they get sued by somebody. I don't think Stallone cares. Hell, Stallone could play the character. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all we're talking about this week. Next week, I don't know. I'm not ready to do the Marvel Comics relaunch thing just yet. But, um, I don't know, we'll, we'll have the, the final episode of Sam and Bucky by that point, so maybe we'll do a, um, a little Raffi review instead, but, um, we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the future, which is, like, good. That's a good perspective to have at this day and age. But, um, as always, thank you for listening so much. Um, hey, if you haven't seen it yet, if you go on Facebook, there's this page called, uh, Maffy Reviews which is Raffi, but with an M. Um, my partner, Macy, and I review food that we find, that we just kind of, you know, we've done s'mores, graham crackers, um, donut frosted Oreos. Um, we haven't put it out yet, but we did, like, Fruity Pebble and Cocoa Pebble ice cream. But we just sit down, and we eat a food, and we just kind of talk about it and review it. And it's a lot of fun, and it's a nice kind of easy thing that the two of us can do, and a lot of my family and friends have responded to it really well. So, yeah, if you look it up on Facebook, it's called Mafia Reviews. And, uh, yeah, go, go check that out, guys. Oh, um, follow us on YouTube as well. The newest Digimon Tabletop special is out. It's about three hours long. Sorry if it's too long for you. Watch it in chunks or listen to it on uh, the Anchor page for thepanelbutter.anchor.fm, I think it is. Um, that was a whole lot of fun. We're not going to do a video special for a while because that was a big one. But uh, I had a lot of fun with that. And I know a good friend of mine has started uh, watching those. And he's having fun with them too. So, yes. Matthew Reviews. Check out our YouTube. Follow us on Facebook. All that good stuff. And I will catch you guys next time. Goodbye.